How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Exitazo podcast, where we examine the complexities of Christianity. In our last episode, we went over Ecclesiastes chapter 9, where we basically went over the scriptures that talk about death and how time and chance happens to everyone. And then we even went into a little bit of a parable at the end, and we discussed that with our guest, Kyle. But today we have our guest, Dawson. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Yeah. Doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm yeah, excited for this. Me too. I'm very, very excited. Um, I'm looking forward to this because uh, I think we're going to be definitely going into different concepts and different things, and it's going to yeah. be a different a different turn that the author takes. What are, what sure. are you most excited about inside this chapter? For sure. I, I love, um, you see all throughout Ecclesiastes, but I think especially in this one, the debate inside his head and, and the, the kind of arguments that he has with himself and where he kind of flip-flops and... and goes back and forth on different sides, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you definitely see that in this one. He has a whole lot of kind of parables and metaphors um, that kind of combat each other and, and go back and forth. Um, and he's not super clear on a lot of what's in here, but it's it's a lot of metaphors, a lot of kind of figuring things out. Um, and I think it's really fascinating to see that kind of thought process throughout this chapter, especially. Um, yeah, I agree. 100% agree. So, um... For you guys, and I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but we're going to actually be going over Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Yep. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. So, um, do you want to start off with reading the first section? For sure, for sure. Right. And we'll, we're going to start um, actually at the end of chapter 9, because yep. it kind of leads into it a little bit. Um, so, we'll start at chapter 9, verse 17, um, and go all the way to 10, verse 3. So, let's see here. Uh, better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much that is good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Man, that's deep. That is yeah. deep. So our first section is called Nuanced Truth from the Wise. So let's just hear some of your thoughts. I mean, what what are your, what is your thoughts on this first section of Ecclesiastes? Um, I mean, I think even just the first verse... You hear this all the time, but you, you again hear you see it in the Bible even. Um, better to hear the quiet words of the wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Um, typically, it's the loudest people um, that are not always the wisest. Uh, you know, the wise ones are the ones that are quiet, the ones that are listening, um, and they they typically have little to say, um, which is unfortunate because the loudest people are the ones that are heard the most. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not always like that. Uh, you know, you even see Jesus when he's a child. Uh, he he's not out yelling. He's going and listening in the temple, and he's listening to the to the Pharisees and the leaders of the religion. Um, and, and who's wiser than Jesus, right? So that's a very uh, good point. How, yeah. how can you you get past that? Um, and then we go right into some of these kind of parables. These as dead flies give perfume a bad smell. Um, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Um, even just a, even just a little bit of mistake can outweigh even wisdom, you know, the great wisdom and honor that you might have. And, you know, you and, uh, Kyle talked about that in the last, uh, in the last podcast in Ecclesiastes nine, um, about how, you know, little mistakes can even little misfortune can fall upon the wisest and the, the strongest, um, and how that can absolutely destroy a person. Um, yeah. 
and how finding your 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 value or your your perception in your kind of own strength and your own wisdom and your own money and your own power um it can all fall apart so so easily and so so fast right um and and this kind of talks about that um and so i think this is this is interesting i think i think people are going to take verse two uh, i think a certain way sometimes where it says uh, the wise uh yeah. inclines <laughs> to the right but the heart of the fool to the left yeah uh, yeah that's... i think that can be uh taken out of context very easily yeah. Um, and taken uh, a certain way by by some people that that want to take it a certain way, right? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, it I could see many people uh, making that more of like a political stance than it actually right. is, you know? Yeah. Because um, when you read it in its actual context, you realize that uh, what's actually being talked about is the concept of going the right way or following folly. Yeah. You know, following wisdom or following your own desires and mm. things that just aren't good for yourself or for the people around you. Yeah. Um, so what's actually interesting is that this connects to a common concept that stretches all the way back to Genesis, which actually kind of mm-hmm. connects to the tree of life and the tree mm-hmm. of knowledge of good and evil. You know, kind of yeah. God giving us those choices of, you know, which which one are you going to choose? Mm. And you see that kind of repeated right here, but this is with going to the right or going to the left. And right. as we know, the wise person goes to the right or goes to the sensible way mm-hmm. where wisdom follows. Um, and what's interesting, too, is that this isn't only in Genesis, but it actually stretches to a lot of other scriptures specifically in deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 32 through 33 do you want to read that or i can read it yeah i can read it uh it says you shall be careful therefore to do as the lord your god has commanded you you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left you shall walk in all the way that the lord your god has commanded you that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess so I can read, so we actually have two other chapters. So we have one actually in Jonah and another one in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 11. Um, so I'll read uh, the second verse, which is the one from Deuteronomy. Yep. And then you can read the uh, Jonah one. Gotcha. So this is another verse that kind of brings up the same concepts of pretty much the right or the left mm-hmm. choosing how God's basically given us instructions. Basically bring up that same example of, you know, those choices. Um, So it says, according to the instructions that they gave you and according to the decision which they pronounced to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. Um, And then Jonah 4 says, and should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Man, dude, that that's that's very fascinating. Now, what's also interesting, too, is that um, instead of a moral state, or my bad, instead of like a spiritual state, it also talks about moral stances, too, as we kind of discussed. And to show that, um, this is actually mentioned in the Psalms. So specifically Psalms chapter 77, Psalm 118, and Exodus 15, to where it kind of actually corresponds not just the moral stances, but even in the right view of God, being Mm -hmm. more connected with God. So that means that there's like probably some spiritual, I don't want to say status, but spiritual connection to it also. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can see that. I mean, for example, in Psalm 77, it says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Mm -hmm. And then in Psalm 118, it says, Glad songs of salvation are in the tenets 
of the righteous. The right hand of of the Lord does valiantly. I, I keep mispronouncing Valiantly, that. yeah. Valiantly. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yep. And then the last one is in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's really interesting that it keeps bringing up the right hand. Yeah. And what's also pretty cool too is I think I believe um, it even mentions something like that in Proverbs. I'm not entirely sure, but it mentions about um, I think in Proverbs how it connects it not to the tree of life, but it kind of brings up the right side of the tree or something like that. Mm-hmm. It talks about there's long life, and then the other one there's riches. Do you know what verse I'm yeah. talking about? Not off the top of my head. Yeah, no. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find it. But what's also interesting too though is that the right hand, as we see in the New Testament, also connects to Jesus, mm. which I think is really cool because you kind of see this theme that keeps happening throughout right. the whole Bible. So you have that decision, right? It's out mm-hmm. of Genesis, two choices, and then you got in Jonah, you know, that whole thing with uh, the people of Nineveh. They don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know which way to right. go, you know, which way that's right or correct in the accordance of God. Mm-hmm. And then you have an Ecclesiastes that also brings up this concept of choosing right and wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, how the right choose the wise side and go with God. And then we see how in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, um, and Numbers, yep. right? We see how that constantly mentions the right and the left hand. And then in the Psalms, we have now saw how there is a connection spiritually. And then in the New Testament, it's like revealed completely how Jesus is actually at the right hand of God. Yeah. But he's like a physical representation of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I think is super cool. So you can actually read these verses that basically talk about it pretty much. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we got Matthew 26. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Uh, Romans 8 says, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ, uh, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Uh, Colossians 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then Hebrews 1 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Man, dude, that is good. It is good. It that is good. Because Jesus is the, the the physical, you know, come, coming down of God himself. He is that mm-hmm. physical. And, and that, even just in culture, it's like hands are, you work with your hands. You produce with your hands. You you actually impact people with your hands. Um and so you see that with, with Jesus. Jesus is the one that came down and, and interacted with us as human um, and, and was there. He's the one. He said, he's like, I'm bringing the sword. I'm, I'm coming, you know, I, I am the hand of God. He's doing yeah. the work of God. Um, That's good. That's really good. I you, like that You know, you can replace all these earlier verses in the Old Testament. Every time it says the right hand of, of God or the Lord or the Most High, just replace it with Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that's you know, yeah, that's a good point. That's a know, good point. Uh, it says right hand of Lord does valiantly. Jesus does valiantly. You know, he Damn. is the right hand. He's the action of it. Even look at um, the creation of Adam, the painting. Yeah, G- God's hand is is it's it's his right hand that's reaching out to Adam. I didn't even to provide that. life. 
Um, I think it's Adam's left hand, though, which I don't know if has any significance. Um, well, I know the left hand. I mean, I could be wrong, but from my research that I've done specifically, just looking at the cultural context of the time back then, the left hand was, I guess, um, I want to say like a symbol of folly, pretty much. Yeah. Symbol of folly, laziness, you know, mm-hmm. not doing the right thing. Um, actually, one of the scholars in here, I think, actually talks about that specifically. Um, yes, actually, right. Yep. So right here, it's in a small commentary, which you guys will be able to find inside the description. Uh, you guys will get all these notes in the outline pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, a quote from, I don't really know how to pronounce his name, Lupold. Uh, what goes that? Is, yeah. Yeah. And this is from page 232 from his commentary on Ecclesiastes. And he says that in the languages of the scriptures, the right hand suggests that which is honorable, mighty, associated with the oath, even with God and his work. So that as in other languages, the right hand becomes synonymous with which, with that which is right, good, and honorable, which could also be cross-referenced to Luke chapter 1, verse 11. And then of necessity, the left hand becomes associated with that which is evil, perverse, sinister, morally repellent. Mm. So... There, so I mean, yeah. You there look you go. at you look at the creation of Adam, and 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 maybe there's something to that. In that, I mean, firstly, God's hand is like rigid. Like there's there's strength behind it. You can tell mm-hmm. in the painting. Whereas Adam's left hand is lax because yeah. he's giving life to Adam. Um, and maybe maybe there's more to that. That that God is reaching out with His righteousness to take Adam's sin, uh, to take his to take his evil and to take his perverse. You know, as as He says here. That's and good. he's reaching that to take that to provide life because because that evil and that sin is is what's causing death to Adam. Yeah. Um, Man, this is that. this is just this is interesting because this makes me also think kind of like with the right hand reaching out and mm-hmm. stuff. This makes me think of how this slight. I feel like this kind of slightly actually connects to John chapter one verse one, where it says, "In the beginning was the Word, word yeah. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Mm-hmm. You know, like that word, and I know into the Greek it's logos, which yeah. is like um, basically it's it is an outward. I think uh, well, how, how did um, one scholar I know, for example, I feel like Tim Mackey described it very well, mm-hmm. basically like this. He described it in a way from what I saw from one of his videos. He described it in a way to how basically your word is a, apart from you, but at the same time it is one with you. Because you also embody those words mm-hmm. sometimes when you speak. Yeah, we kind of actually also talked about that in our last in the last chapter about you know um, it begins with your thoughts and then with your words and then your words slightly turn into action which yeah. turns into character and then your lifestyle. In the same way, you can kind of see how that connects with the Bible, specifically in John, where Jesus is the Word and yeah. He is not only God but also human at the same time mm-hmm. and and is a complete and is completely equal to the father but also separate of the father. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Because you can kind of see how back to what you were talking about he is reaching out. He is going to dwell with the people. Yeah. You know that other name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God yes. with us. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think that this that scripture also somewhat connects to um that one uh, connects back to the right hand or the left hand, 
connecting yeah. back to Jesus ultimately with him going out and helping Adam. Well, mm-hmm. helping Adam. When we say Adam, we mean all of humanity. Right. You know, <laughs> just well, just to clear Adam, up. Jesus is also stuff. called the second Adam too. Yeah. You think of it that way. Yeah. Like the second point. Adam is reaching out to the first Adam mm-hmm. to provide life. You know, and, and yeah. fulfilling that. Um, yeah, as the right hand of God. Yeah, and it's and you know what's even crazier is how all of that really goes completely back to verse. It was verse two. Yeah, how this all connects back to verse two, just mentioning about the concept of the right hand or the left. Right. And I think that's fascinating. Now, what I would really like to talk about too is um, in verse I want to say verse four. I feel like verse four has a lot of meat. So if you guys don't remember what yeah. we're t- what we're talking about, um, verse four actually says, "If a ruler's anger, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your past. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest." So, w- what are your thoughts just on that verse? I feel like it's really self-explanatory, but yeah, no, I think I think having um, contentment and peace is weirdly enough a great like weapon almost it's you know if you ever like get mad at somebody and you realize that they're not getting upset that you're mad at them it's it's really off-putting it kind of throws you off you're like wait why are you not upset about like you expect somebody to get mad you expect somebody to get angry um and when they're not it's like okay you're you've been here before Mm -hmm. like that's that's disturbing how do i how do i deal with this if you 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 look so calm you look so set in where you are in what should not be a comfortable situation you've either experienced this before you have a, you have a level of contentment that i don't understand and i think especially that with, with a ruler or, or mm-hmm. somebody who's above you a boss or something like that and i think having that calmness not only is it, it clear your head when you get angry you get upset like yeah. it clouds your judgment it clouds what you're trying to do um you're emotionally invested in something can typically you know, cloud what you're, you're thinking. Yeah. But having that calmness, um, against that, uh, it's, it's amazing what calmness can do to, to ease just the situation, to be content in that and, and combat like somebody else's like anger or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, attacks against you. Right. Yeah. I feel like this verse right here is kind of also displaying and showing that, even though in a situation where someone could be treating you wrong and how they're lashing out, succumbing to their emotions, the person who is rather choosing to restrain their emotions is actually the strong one. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And then on top of that, that verse is specifically talking about someone who's above you because it talks about the ruler, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of the last verse, I think it was in verse four, correct? Yep, yeah, it's in verse, yeah. Verse mm-hmm. four, where it's talking about how someone is over you, right? So that means that they have some level of authority, some level of control. Yeah. You know, they're in a powerful mm-hmm. position, and yet they're letting their their emotions and their anger control mm-hmm. how they treat another human being or another person who's created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And what that verse is saying, how a calmness turns away that anger. Yeah, you know, and I feel like right there, it's kind of speaking similar to what Jesus kind of also preached too. Oh, yeah. Instead of re, instead of re, um, replying with anger or maliciousness or any other you know messed up type of way to a human being, just take a moment and think. Because sometimes you know I know 
when I'm talking to some people, you know, some days they're, they're mad. Some days they're happy. And honestly, you don't even know what's going on to their life. They could just be having a bad day. They can be, you know, having problems with bills, schoolwork, mm -hmm. uh, mental health issues. And with you just responding with a positive, I believe, I feel like if you just respond with a positive emotional um, frame, that turns away a lot of turmoil between mm -hmm. them. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I think especially yeah. when when somebody gets upset, if you're in a group and like people start getting upset, start panicking, something's happening, they always turn to the calmest person. Yeah. There's always that security there. And you mm -hmm. look at like you look at the gospels, you look you you see how Jesus interacts with people. You see him mm -hmm. rarely rarely get upset. And yeah. when it is, it's like a very righteous upset. Um there's people selling things in the temple. He's like, this is my father's mm -hmm. house. You, you don't do that. You don't do yeah. that in my father's house, right? But most of the time, he's very, very calm. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, you see him talking to Pharisees, Sadducees, um, people that are like attacking him, want him, want him dead. And they're attacking him, you know, with words and asking questions, trying to trap him in something. And he always responds very carefully yeah. and very calmly. Um, you know, they're, they're about to stone a woman. And he, he writes something in the sand, it says, and then he, he asks yeah. him the simple question. He who has not sinned, throw the first stone. And everybody has to pause for a second and go, wait a second. What is this guy talking about? Yeah. I guess I can. I mean, we've all sinned. You know, yeah. and it's it's a very calm response. Like, he could have gotten, you know, upset. He could have got really mad about this, about stoning a woman. Yeah. Um, But he doesn't. He's, he's very calm in it. He's he's calm. You know, you see, you see uh, you know, he is, he's emotional on the cross, but there's still this like calmness to his spirit. You can kind of tell. Hmm. Um, I never thought about it like that. You know, he he's emotional up there. He's he's obvious. He's clearly clearly in physical pain. But there's the, you can almost tell there's a, there's a, a spiritual uh, calmness. You know, he gives up his spirit willingly. Mm -hmm. It says he's like he, yeah. he he knew it was his time and he he gave it up willingly. You know, he says you know I can bring my father's angels mm -hmm. to save me, but this is my time. And then even at the exact moment of his death, he, he cries out to the Lord and gives up his spirit. Yeah. Um, so, so it is, it's, it's fascinating to see, uh, Jesus's calmness in that and how he, he interacts with people that are not calm against him. Yeah. <laughs> that very much want him, uh, -huh. uh, at least in prison, if not, you know, crucified. Right. Yeah. And he, and you see his calmness in that. And I think, I think that's a lot of reassurance to the disciples too. You know, yeah. Especially, you look at the boat too. When the when the storm is coming and, mm -hmm. and Jesus is walking on the water, or he's or he's woken up, and like there's a storm. These guys, guys, it's fine. Why do you have so yeah. little faith? Yeah. Why are you guys freaking why, out? Why you know? are you freaking We're gonna out? Be, yeah. That's I have control over the waves. I have control over the wind. Mm -hmm. Why are you freaking out? And I, I and it's it's that kind of calmness that really really sets in for them. Mm -hmm. I really want to comment though on that one um, scripture that you alluded to which I believe it's actually in the Gospel of John. I think it's either in chapter 8 or 7. I cannot remember. But I can name scripture. I can't <laughs> name where it is. <laughs> no, but, but I do. I remember that scripture, and I found out. What I find so interesting about that scripture with the adulterous woman mm -hmm. um, is that you're right about the calmness aspect, but I think what's interesting, too, is that how with that calmness and all that turmoil, how everyone was rageful and very judgmental over that mm -hmm. woman, him reacting in that calmness drew all the attention off of her and onto himself. Yeah. 
which I think was fascinating, which could in many ways be a foreshadowing to what he was going to do. Just like he was Mm -hmm. taking the shame in that situation away from that woman in the same way our Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord takes the shame away from us on the Mm -hmm. cross. Yeah. He's like the eye of a storm. Yeah. You know, it's like the calmest right in the center of the storm. He always takes that position. There's always that chaos around him, but when you're in the eye of the storm, there's some wind, but it's it's relatively calm. Yeah, I never. Wow, that's actually elaborate on that. What? Do you, yeah, explain that. I, a little I bit think more. like like you said, he kind of takes the attention away, and so when the, when the attention's on him, he's right in the center of the storm, and so all this craziness is going on around him. But he is so calm. Mm-hmm. He is he's he's that peace in that. And so no matter what storm is going on around him, whether it's, you know, the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the, the attackers or the, a physical storm on, a, on, mm-hmm. a, on, on the sea, um, there's all this going on around him, but yet he's, he's at the center of it. And, and somehow being at the center of it is, is the calmest place to be. Yeah. When he takes the focus of it, it somehow is the calmest. It's, it's the calmest, like the eye of a storm. Yeah. You know? That's, yeah, I really like, yeah, that's, that's very, very interesting. Cause I've never, I never really looked at it like that either, but that, but you mentioning that though, does remind me of, uh, I don't know if it's a chapter, but I remember a passage in Matthew, which speaks of Jesus walking on the water. Yeah. And then Matthew or not Matthew, maybe it's probably Peter actually. Is it Peter? Who, who gets out on the, yeah, who gets yeah out, I think it's yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Peter, he gets out of the boat. Well, first, first he says. He hears Jesus calling out to him. Yeah. And then he says to Jesus, Lord, mm-hmm. if you want me to come out as... Well, matter of fact, actually, let me let me look the verse up real quick. Yeah. Let me look it up and we'll just read it real quick. But yeah, yeah, it is it is Peter. And uh, yeah, I believe he wants to go out on the sea. Yep. And it's, it's Matthew... Does he hear him? He doesn't see him. He hears him. Oh, we're about to read it. We're about to read yeah. It let's right find now. out. We're about to I think get that's into the interesting it. too. If he just hears him and he doesn't even see him, we about to get into we it. <laughs> it's Matthew chapter fourteen. Matthew fourteen. Okay. Yep. Verses twenty-two mm-hmm. through. I want to say. I'm gonna just read it, and yeah. we'll we'll find out where it ends. <laughs> Immediately, and this is Matthew chapter um, fourteen. Starting at verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind has risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water, When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in their fear. They cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? 
When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Now, what I want to point to right there, kind of connecting to what you were talking about with the eye of the storm, which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting, is that right here, they're in the middle of a storm, but yet when his eyes are focused on Jesus, that's when he's calm. Yeah. That's when everything is okay. Even in the midst of all the chaos, he is walking on water. Think about that. He's walking yeah. on water. He's walking on water. <laughs> let's just take a moment and pause because I feel I feel like a lot of people kind of just no, yeah. look over that and it's like, oh yeah, he's walking on water. Let's just keep reading. The, you know, it's like it's like no, that takes a lot of faith. Yeah. And then Jesus says, "Why do you have such little faith?" <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, "Dog." Yeah. It, it's it's storming out here. I'm thinking this boat's about to sink. You, then you tell me to walk on the water. I walked on the water. Now you're saying I got little faith. <laughs> and he doesn't really see Jesus either. Like he sees a shape. And he, they're like, really is it a po- ghost? That's a really good point. They hear his voice. Mm-hmm. And then I think this is fun. The Bible's funny, guys. Come on now. The Bible's funny. It says, tell me if it's, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Like he, like if it's a ghost, the ghost isn't going to lie to him. But, <laughs> but Jesus does say come. And he does yeah. get out of the boat. But he doesn't really see Peter, or he doesn't see Jesus really. Mm-hmm. He sees a figure, he hears his voice, and he's like, I think that's him. Yeah. And he gets out, and that's the faith, right? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we always expect all the answers from God, and we kind of forget about that faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've had times in my life, even recently, where it's like, I kind of take faith for granted. I don't think about it very often. I feel like I've, I've been in a walk long enough in, in my life, and I'm young. I'm not like, you know. I'm still young, but I, you yeah. know, I've been in a walk of faith long enough that I'm like, I kind of take faith for granted. and I don't think I need faith. I, I expect all the answers from God. I expect mm-hmm. him to lay out the path for me very clearly. And I expect every step I take to have a reason, right? I'm a person that likes to have reasons. I always ask why. Mm-hmm. I think the why is the most important question. Yeah. And so I always expect, I'm always like, when something happens in my life, I'm like, God, why did this happen? What, what are you doing? Yeah. And sometimes God is like, just have faith. Yeah. Just have faith. You don't need an answer. You just need faith. It's that trust aspect. It's that trust. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't give Peter all the answers here. He doesn't show him his his face. He doesn't, sh- you know, show him here. He doesn't, like, explain the physics of how to walk on water. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, hey, step out. Yeah. You can hear my voice. You don't need to see me. You can hear my voice. That's enough. Yeah. Have faith. And, and, you, and, you, and you know what you notice, too, in that is that sometimes when you do step out on faith, with that comes calmness. Yeah. As you saw inside that scripture, he was calm. But you noticed that peace and that calmness left mm-hmm. as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus and focused on the waves. And I feel like this kind of just communicates the idea yeah. of with fellow believers that are going through things. When you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and you just focus on him and not on the things around yourself, the burden of life becomes slightly lighter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, you just, you feel more at peace. You feel more calm. You you just feel more at ease. Yeah, and point out, the storm doesn't go away. The storm's yeah. still there. Yeah. But he's just, he's focusing on Jesus. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, it's not like being a Christian or, or fa- walking in faith means the storm goes away. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to deal with that still. Mm-hmm. It just means that you're going to have contentment in that storm. You're going to have yeah. peace in that storm. Yeah. 
um, you're going to get a little bit closer to that eye of the storm mm-hmm. where it's a, it's a little bit easier, but that storm's still going on Oh, around you. That's facts. Yeah, we, uh, we definitely ain't preaching no health and wealth prosperity gospel yeah. <laughs> over here. No, man, yeah. Even if you follow yeah. Jesus, you're definitely going to experience some hardships. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that's so fascinating how you can kind of get all those little connections and those little kind of rabbit trails all from that one verse um, in Ecclesiastes chapter. Oh, yeah. Uh, chapter 10, verse 4. Yeah. And what's also interesting, too, I think mainly, we kind of went on a little bit of a repertoire, but I feel like I feel like the main concept, though, of calmness and how that scripture kind of teaches the idea of the person, even though even though the person may seem to be in a lower status or a, or a lower submissive uh, stature, mm-hmm. when they respond in when they respond with being in control of their emotions, show to have more control over the situation and more control and strength than the person who is lashing out. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, what I found, what I found, which what I thought was really interesting too, is that I think this connects more specifically other than um, uh, what we kind of just talked about with con- connecting it all the way back to Jesus and the suffering and the storm and stuff. I think with this more in a line that verse verse four really connects with Jesus teaching in the Gospel of Matthew about turning the other cheek. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, I noticed maybe I could be wrong, but when I was doing some research, the only other time I can find where the scriptures reference about turning the other cheek mm-hmm. is in Lamentations. And I just want to read this real quick yeah. because I think it's very fascinating. Yeah, you know for sure. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. And by the way, this is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 25 through 32. But I highly encourage our viewers to actually go and read it for yourselves because it does make you think some interesting things about God, just in oh, general, yeah. the conversation. But, um, but it says, The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lie face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies. For no one is, ab- for no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. That is like, dude, there's like so much in there. That's good. There's yeah. so much in there. And what's crazy too is um, just just for a slight context with Lamentations, right? So mm-hmm. Lamentations, it's a collection of poems, things like that, that was from the, I believe, I'm not sure if it was the first or second. I'm leaning more towards the second. I have to revamp on my research yeah but i believe it's the second exile and this is basically um in context what it's talking about Mm. how they're exiled how they've just been kicked out of their land right and they're seeing that as god disciplining them Mm -hmm. and the enemy has besieged their land has taken over kicked them out and they're seeing that as a form of discipline from god Mm -hmm. and then on top of that it's telling them to turn the other cheek don't even don't even fight them back. Now, I'm not saying be a pacifist. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is it's very interesting that there are certain 
context is to where it is wiser to turn the other cheek. Yeah. Even when your enemy is doing things wrongly. Right. Now, to get into those contexts, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> okay? We don't have to get into that. But I think that that right there is very, very powerful because I think that contributes back to what you were talking about with that trust factor. How the Lord is the one who holds vengeance and justice mm-hmm. and does it correctly. Yeah. Does that like make sense? What yeah. What is your thoughts on that verse? I think I, I want to touch on um, what you said about having peace shows more strength than, you know, being, have, be, having anger or, or like okay. flexing power. Yeah. I think that connects to um, even more to, to today is like, confidence and modesty in that like we we see today you know i see guys that are like talking about like how much they lift or how much yeah you know how how much they lift can i bench more than you can i you know you know mm-hmm. arm wrestle you know this and that and 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 the guys that deny it are like no nah, i don't i don't i'm not gonna exchange pers- prs with you on our bench like i don't really care that much and they're like oh okay you're just weak it's like no mm-hmm. no they have confidence in their strength mm-hmm it's the people that are the ones that are kind of flexing and trying to show off and, and mm-hmm. asking those questions that are generally more insecure about it. Yeah. And it and it feels counterintuitive. Those you know, those guys feel like they're more confident because they're they're around flexing and stuff, but that mm-hmm. just shows that insecurity in that. Um in that. And I think I think the same thing is like that with with peace and, and power, um, and having that calmness in the face of power. Um but I think I think for for this kind of the the turning of the other cheek, I think that's I think it is fascinating. I think it it's interesting where you see God say, you know, especially in the Old Testament of of empowering the Israelites to to fight back and to regain their land. And when He says, "Turn the other cheek," like take take your punishment, like you screwed up. Yeah. Um. Then you know the, and it's empowered by the Lord. Um. You know these these aren't like humans that are saying it like this is this is the lord's word of you know turn the other cheek take it mm-hmm. um um except you know it's what I say accept the insults of your enemy for no one is abandoned by the lord forever i think that's yeah. that's that's the reassurance there too of like you're gonna take this but i i'm still with you mm-hmm. like i'm still here with you um and you know you see that you know jesus you know see jesus talk about take the other you know turn the other cheek as well um, and he's with them, <laughs> yeah, literally, literally with them. That's literally the next verse I actually have, which is Matthew chapter five, verses thirty-eight through forty. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to read that verse actually, sure. since yeah. it's like just more detail? Uh, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. That is, that is interesting. That's tough to read. Yeah, that is tough to read. I'm like, you sure? He's the one that wronged me. Like, I, I get it. Turn the other cheek. Yeah. But I'm not gonna give him my coat too. Yeah. He's the one that screwed up. (laughs) Like, that's tough to read. That, that really is. Man, it just, it makes me think. It's like, it's, you know, you definitely see how Jesus is definitely just turning everything upside down. Yes. You know, like he's making the law even harder than what it already is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's like, what in the world, man? 
It's already uh, as hard as it, it is. Yeah, it's you already hard tell enough. Me this, you know, it's it's definitely there's so much to unpack right there, and I think that we'll definitely unpack it when we get to our study on Matthew, which mm-hmm. will be later. But yeah. I definitely think that this does, in a way, contribute to the concept of the more strength it actually takes to not react to a situation, mm-hmm. but to actually do the right thing instead. Yeah, I can't remember who said this. But it reminds me of, like, every man knows what the right decision is. Now the question is, are they going to do the right thing or not? Ooh. That's the real question. I don't, I don't remember who I said that to, but, uh, I mean, I don't remember who I heard that right to. Decision? I think, personally, that in majority of situations, I feel like men, well, not just men, but, like, in general, people, just, you right. know, people, like... Honestly, in majority of situations, I feel like most people actually do know what the right thing to do is. But in some cases, it could get, uh, I want to say, probably mixed up with the emotions and things like that. I mean, we but just I read, would uh, say Nineveh doesn't know the right from the left. I mean, that that is a that is, <laughs> no, that, no, that's that's so, a good point. Yeah, I, no, think that's there, a good I think point. there definitely are times. I think yeah. there's definitely like cultural beliefs too, where it's like, uh, it's certain things have become accepted. Mm-hmm. That are very much against what what God decides has oh yeah is moral yeah so like, oh oh okay so now I see what you're saying I would say I feel like personally to the to certain I guess social responsibilities most people know what the right thing to do is yeah yeah but then your social cultural context. I feel like majority of people do know what the right thing to do is, I think, but yeah, they I think tend to not do it. I think most of the time, yeah. Yeah. Now getting into like what you were talking about with Nineveh and everything with that. Now then, yeah, when you get like more wider picture and like humans just keep messing up and they keep choosing to do the wrong thing, mm-hmm. then yeah, of course, I would say probably a lot of them don't know, you know, sometimes right. the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. You know, they just kind of follow their desires, follow their pleasures, yeah. you know, follow whatever feels right to them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so with that, I definitely do agree. But I feel like for like the the smaller things, like how you should treat your wife, how you mm-hmm. should treat your kids, you know? Yeah. Having certain responsibilities. I feel like majority of people know what to do in that situation. And yeah. the real question is, are they actually going to do it or are they not? I agree, yeah. I think especially like just treating others. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the the golden rule is treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Jesus goes even further and basically says treat others better than how you want to be treated or how you yeah. you treat yourself. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with that I think generally people understand how to treat others or the right thing to treat others. Yeah. Um, but focusing on that and actually practicing it is you're right. It's very it's very different. Yeah, um, it's not always taken out um, in action. Mm-hmm. Well, now that you say that, I, I've been thinking, <laughs> after thinking about it, though, I mean, when I think of, like, other cultures, things like that, you probably do got a point. You know, maybe people don't. Because, <laughs> I mean, when you look at slavery, when you look at what Hitler did, yeah. when you look at what Stalin did, mm-hmm. and things like that, it's, like, it's horrible, man. I it think is it's horrible. Like, yeah. And I, I de- there's definitely the individuals. Um, I think Stalin's really unique, even compared to... Hitler, where Stalin did that to his own people. Yeah. Whereas Hitler did that to a people that he didn't consider his people. 
mm-hmm. which is a little bit different. And then slavery is a lot of like, they didn't, you know, people, they didn't even consider those as people. Yeah. So it's like, I think, I think generally we understand with the, without the extreme exceptions, generally we understand how to treat other people. But then there's a mix up of who do you consider people <laughs> too? That is a very right. Who, you know, for a long yeah. time they, there was, you know, uh, a group of people that didn't consider black people really people. Egyptians yeah. didn't really consider Israelites people. Yeah. Um, like Stalin's interesting because we're literally his people. Yeah. So I, I don't even, I, that's the, that's the exception. I don't yeah. even know, you know, how, how his brain worked in that. Um, it's definitely fascinating. It's, it's very, very interesting. But, but to get back on topic yeah. though, <laughs> um, so, so that's actually everything that we got off of um, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, specifically on verse 4, speaking of how a calm response mm-hmm. to, you know, an outrageous ruler stops, you know, yeah. further problems. Um, a quote from Erbard's commentary on Ecclesiastes from page 213. He says, the lesson is that the self-controlled person who has less rank is really more powerful than the out-of-control supposed superior. So I feel like that's kind of pretty much what we said. Kind of is that how his name is pronounced? Who Hubbard? I don't really know if I'm being completely oh, okay. honest. I read it I, as Hubbard, but Hubbard, I, it, yeah, Hubbard. It, okay, uh, I wasn't Hubbard. sure if you you knew exactly. No, that. I didn't. I, I like, have no idea. I'm just I'm just pronouncing it the best I can. I like Hubbard better though. <laughs> I, I like that. I yeah. hope it's Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, we'll actually be going into the next section, which is the gray troubling ironies of life and that is verses 10 or not i'm sorry that's verses 15 through 20 5 through 20 5 through 20 5 through 20 my bad chapter yeah. 10 chapter 10 verses 5 yep. through 20 all right so let's get into it we're all reading right. from the new living translation by the way mm-hmm. all right let's see uh verse 5 there is another evil i have seen under the sun kings and rulers make a grave mistake when they give great authority to foolish people and low positions to people of proven worth. I have even seen servants riding horseback like princes and princes walking like servants. When you dig a well, you might fall in. When you demolish an old wall, you could be bitten by a snake. When you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, there is danger with each stroke of your axe. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade that's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. If a, if a snake bites before you charm it, what's the use of being a snake charmer? Wise words bring approval, but fools are destroyed by their own words. Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions, so their conclusions will be wicked madness. They chatter on and on. No one really knows what is going to happen. No one can predict the future. Fools are so exhausted by a little work that they can't even find their way home. What sorrow for the land ruled by the servant the land whose leaders at the proper time to gain, oh, the leaders, <laughs> feast in the morning. Happy is the land whose king is a noble leader and whose leaders feast at the proper time to gain strength for their work not to get drunk. Laziness leads to a sagging roof. Idleness leads to a leaky house. A party gives laughter, wine gives happiness, and money gives everything. Never make light of the king, even in your thoughts, and don't make fun of the powerful, even in your own bedroom. For a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you said. That is Ecclesiastes ten five through twenty. That's good. That's real good. 
So my thoughts um, on this passage, we'll, uh, I kind of just talk about the first few verses. I think the first few verses actually connect to the beginning of the chapter, specifically mm-hmm. verse 4. Um, because when you read verse 4, uh, we kind of already talked about how it talks about calmness. But it specifically says, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. So right there, a ruler's anger, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're talking about governmental systems, monarchies, yeah. you know, you know, uh, just people in authority. Yeah. Right? I think the few the few first verses also kind of talk about that, but it mm-hmm. kind of gives it a different perspective. More like I, I would personally say a first-person perspective because it says, yeah. there is another evil I have seen under the sun. Kings and rulers make a great mistake when they give great authority to foolish people in low positions, to people of proven worth. I have seen even servants riding horsebacks like princes and princes walking like servants. When you dig a well, you might fall in it. Okay, so to end at verse 7, yeah. So it's talking about the governmental systems once again, but it seems like it's now, instead of talking from a first-person perspective, it's talking from a wider perspective, observing of what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yes, yeah. And what I think is really interesting right here, too, is with that observation, the author or what we would call the teacher inside this um, passage of scripture is communicating the idea of how the government is jacked up, but not only jacked up, but a person can prepare and do everything they can to try to get a certain position, but that preparation does not 100% mean you will get that position. For sure. You know what I'm saying? And I think that kind of speaks to the idea of like, you know, not putting your identity in your work Mm -hmm. pretty much because I feel like, especially nowadays, a lot of men and just a lot of people in general really identify with their work, which is cool. You know, I mean, Mm. if, if that, you could say that's something that you enjoy, but to Mm. make that your identity, to make that your all being Mm. like, I feel like that might be taking it a step further because as soon as you make a failure in that, you're now oh, yeah. coming at yourself when it's like, whoa, let's calm down now, you know? Yeah. Not even make a failure, but like the, the, the old adage is it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's mm-hmm. like you could be the the best in your field almost, but somebody else could have the job over you just because of luck or who they know or, or something like that. Yeah. And then that, that outcome, which is not totally in, in your control, mm-hmm. is all of a sudden you know, considered a failure to you and impacts your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's not, it's also not what you know, but who you know. It's a good thing we know Jesus, right? Because yeah. we have identity in him mm-hmm. um, through that. But I think you're right. And I think a lot of issues, um, like societal issues, we just, we kind of change where we find our identity in. I think, I think we, we've seen transitions in society where, um, Maybe maybe we used to find our identity in other people, in, in family mm-hmm. or something like that. And then we realized, no, that doesn't really work. So we're going to find our identity in, in our work. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, that kind of fails too. And now there's there's this self-help wave of we're going to find our identity in ourselves and supporting ourselves and helping ourselves grow. Yeah. It could even well, be that's going to fail too. It can even be in like race, sexuality, yes. multiple things when honestly like that's that shouldn't be where your identity is. Right. So so all these societal issues are, are coming from where you're finding your identity and and your value and when you come at it those those issues from a societal 
standpoint too, and you say, well, let's change how where we find our identity in. Doesn't if you find your identity in anything else but Jesus or in God, it's gonna fail. It's gonna cause issues. It's gonna look like a different issue than it did before, but it's mm-hmm. still gonna be an issue. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's why you know I consider societal issues spiritual issues because we're we're not finding our identity in what we're we're supposed to. Yeah, that's really good. Wow, that's that's a really good point. I I would one hundred percent agree with that because I feel like when you put your faith or when you put your identity in Jesus and in God, from that point, it actually teaches you how to live your life, how to properly organize and discipline your life mm-hmm. for the greater good. Does mm-hmm. that like make sense? Yeah. And I like to think of it like this too. Like even you know, let's just put in like a standpoint of like a marriage, you know, or mm-hmm. getting into a relationship. It's like, dude, if if just imagine if you can love God, a person that you don't see, you know, that it's, you know, they're not there. Well, phys- I guess, well, I don't want to say physically not there or, you know, like we all know that God is spiritually and physically there with us, you know, helping us through our problems. But, you know, the fact that we can't see him or physically touch him or anything like that makes it really difficult. And that makes me think if you can love and love and pursue and aspire to try to make that relationship right, right? How much more can you love someone that's here? Right. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like that right there is a huge, a huge gap where I feel like if you just focus right on that, on that relationship with you and God, that will help inform the way you actually live your life and then help you better your relationships overall. Mm Mm-hmm. Does that like make sense? Yeah, for sure. No, it definitely bleeds into everything else. Yeah. I know. Again, I don't know the exact verse, but it says God is love. Yeah. And so then you, you make that relationship with love itself, the the actual embodiment of love. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, now you have a relationship with that, and you understand how to love those around you better. Mm-hmm. And you understand what love looks like when you receive it, too. Yeah. Um, you have a better understanding of that. And, you know, we can get into... Um, these kind of miscommunications of what love is. We can get into issues of, of distrust of people because we're not sure if they love us and then we find our mm-hmm. identity in that and we struggle with, you know, yeah. if they don't love us back, then then that, that harms our identity. But when you have a relationship with, with love itself, how how much is that going to impact everything else in your life? Yeah. You know? I, I heard this one great quote. I believe it's from Vadi Bachman where he said... And I think it's really powerful. He said that basically biblical love or love that's expressed inside the Bible that God displays is led by actions and accompanied by emotions. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if you're led by emotions, then, you know, what if those emo- these are, those emotions change? You know yeah. what I mean? Like you can't really rely completely on your emotions. Mm-hmm. These the emotions could validate, I feel like, in certain instances mm-hmm. of like what is what is happening to you and the experiences that you're going going mm-hmm. through, but that shouldn't be the end-all, be-all to dictate how you should deal with a certain situation. Yeah. I feel like when you see throughout the whole Bible, you know, God loves his people and his people keep turning away from his teachings, turning away from his love, turning away from his character, over and over and over and over and over, but yet God keeps pursuing them. Yeah, He keeps loving them. He keeps stretching out His hand. Now they might they might extend the suffering and extend the problems, but I feel like that right there shows a sense of commitment. Shows that 
it's going to take work. It's going to take action. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in love with someone or when you're just honestly in any relationship, it could be a friendship, it could mm-hmm. be dating, girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, parents, everything. There needs to be actions. And then from those actions, I believe you can very well see what a person really means for you. Yeah, for sure. Does and that I, make sense? I like how that definition um, clears up that love is not an emotion. That I think that can get mixed up in, in culture too. And that love is an emotion. Um, it's like happiness. It's like, you know, that. But you see God loving us in every emotion. Mm-hmm. You see Jesus is, Jesus goes through every emotion in his walk on earth. I mean, he was human, obviously, mm-hmm. you know. But you see his love um, and his pride and his happiness with his disciples and with those around him. You also see uh, love um, in his anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see love in his righteous anger. You see love um, in his sadness, you know. Um, you see you see love when... Um, John the Baptist is is beheaded, and you see him grieve over that. You see, yeah. you, you see his Sheesh. raw love um, for his predecessor, basically. You know, John, yeah. John the Baptist paved, paved the way for him, and so you see love in all those different ways. You look at the Old Testament, and and you know, you see, you hear the conception that the Old Testament God was was different; that he was angry and vengeful, um, a little more hard nosed. Uh, but there's there's love in that. You see, we talked about where he said, you know, turn the other cheek, that these people are wronging you, that he's disciplining them. But you don't discipline somebody if you don't love them. You have to have love and discipline. It's Whoa. it's the it's the it's good. It's the parents <laughs> that like if a parent is not disciplining their child, they don't love the child. Yeah. Um, which is terrible to say. And I'm not a parent, so I'm I'm not gonna sit on yeah. a, a, a platform i'm, not, either. I'm, not, I'm either. not gonna sit on a platform out here giving parenting advice but you know my parents loved me because through through discipline they, mm-hmm. you know they didn't want me to make the same mistakes they didn't want me to make the same mistakes that they made um and and in the same way they let me make mistakes mm-hmm. sometimes uh my mom my mom has admitted that she wish we let us she was almost too protective at times um but that was also in love but if if you're gonna let you know somebody make the if, if god was gonna let us make those same mistakes over and over again and without discipline did, wh- there's no love there there's no love there because then we're just gonna make those same mistakes and we're not actually gonna grow closer to him yeah so he says you know i'm gonna discipline you because i love you dude that that is that's powerful yeah it's tough i mean it's it puts it in a in a good perspective right it's definitely it's like a wrestling it's like it reminds me of jacob wrestling with god yeah i mean and then his name gets changed to to israel yeah you know or or is israel you know and israel literally means one who wrestles with god Mm -hmm. and then you find out you know that the whole all the israelites that like that's their name and it's Mm -hmm. and then you see it constantly over and over throughout the bible that they rest with god they they turn away then they come back they turn away again and they mm. come back and then you got the psalms with david wrestling with god yeah you know he he turns away from god and he comes back and he's favored from god you know this is this is a man after god's own heart and yet he does things that you that you would not expect a man after god's own heart to do and it's just it's really fascinating 
that concept of wrestling with God and how that contributes to love. Because I feel like that also shows how it is to be in a relationship. Yeah. You have to be willing to wrestle. Yeah. You can't give up. You have to be willing to wrestle with that For person sure. that you love. Yeah. Through all the turmoil, through all of it, you have to... And wrestling's not easy. I mean, as you know, you used to wrestle. Mm-hmm. You know, wrestling's not easy. There's going to be a whole bunch of uncomfortable situations. There's going to oh, be yeah. horrible feelings in it. Yeah. Horrible emotions in oh, it. Oh, yeah. You know? But yet, when you truly love someone, you are going to continue to pursue them and continue to wrestle with them. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because it's like... it. That's how much God loves us. Yeah. That even when we're like trying not to even wrestle at that point, he's still there grabbing us. Hey, we're not done yet. Yeah. We're not done yet. Even though you might not think that this is good for you, I do. Mm -hmm. It's almost like trying to force a baby to eat. Yeah. You got to wrestle with that baby to try to, you know what I mean? Like, like, because you know what's good for that baby. Yeah. You know, because if it doesn't eat, then... You know, it doesn't get the yeah. correct nutrients, and then that can overall hurt the baby's health. And it's almost like this is how we are with God. We're a baby. Even greater. Yeah. Like, think about yeah. the difference between a baby and a grown person. And now think yeah. about the difference between us and God. <laughs> like, it's just this huge disparity and just kind of understanding and power and influence. Mm-hmm. And which which is what's so amazing about how much he loves us. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in just how he acts with us and how patient he is with us. Yeah. Um and you just see that and you 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 see that in his in his love um for us. Yeah. Sheesh. And we got all this from the first few verses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more verses. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't even know how we even connected all that. But this is from the first few verses of mm-hmm. um Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Um specifically talking about Specifically talking about um, the governmental systems and how they're yeah. messed up. Yeah. Wow, that's hey. that's interesting. Um, yeah, wow, that's fascinating. So um, I actually have uh, a quote from McGee from his commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes, and it says, To work hard, save your money, and study late does not always mean that you will become a success. The fool next door may inherit a million dollars yeah i feel like that definitely can get applied to the first few verses specifically uh i want to say verses five through eight where you know nothing's promised you know you you definitely have to work for it and even when you do work for it it's still is not always given to you yeah which i think this kind of actually connects to chapter one i don't want to say chapter one chapter two to where it talks about what is all this work for? Because work, right. the, so you have, so when you're working, right, there's a gain after it. That's the real purpose of it. When you're trying to do something, there's something that you're trying to get in return. Yeah. That could be, you know, money. That could be an emotional pleasure. That can be, you know, satisfactory or gratification. Anything. Anything. Mm-hmm. There is something that you're trying to gain. Yeah. You know what I'm and saying? it's addictive. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very much built into our nature. Mm-hmm. And like, you know what a gotcha game is? No. Gotcha I games don't. are like games that are typically free, but they have a lot of like paid content that you can buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're typically uh, 
um, almost like luck based. Like you buy loot boxes and you can get characters or cosmetics or things like that. But um, they really prey on that. That uh, you know, MMOs and other, all these games are like you you get an instant gratification of of your your actions. You play an hour in the game and your your character or whatever is different after that hour than at the beginning. And so that's why those games are so addictive because you're like, oh, I'm actually gaining something. I'm I'm producing something, mm-hmm. and it's this, and it's much more in- instant. Like they they really prey on that um, kind of feeling. It's very much in our nature that we want to be makers. We want to be creators. We're built in God's image, and God is a creator. And so we want that feeling of of satisfaction of doing good work and getting a return. And but here he's saying you don't always get a return. Mm-hmm. You don't always get a return. Um, with this, but then you also see Jesus say, you know, and and and, later, and I think it's Jesus. I think there's some other places, but you know, work and and store up treasures in heaven, and and you'll you'll see there is a return. God, Jesus does promise a return that mm-hmm. follow me and you'll store up treasures in heaven. Um, and then there's there's the verse. I think Paul says it somewhere. Um, work as if you're working for the Lord, and I, it almost feels like he's saying like work as if you know that there is a reward mm-hmm. because if you're just working in this world for yourself or for your boss, there's not always a reward. Yeah. But with Christ there is. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're falling in his footsteps. You're going to bring, bring people along, um, and, and bring treasures along to heaven. Yeah. That's that. And I think that just contributes to what the teacher inside the book of Ecclesiastes is really getting at is that, when it comes to our life on earth, the only true the only true what's the word? I'm trying to find the word. I wanna say profitable gain mm-hmm. is those that extend into eternity. Right. Because yeah. everything as we kind of saw from in the first few chapters, you know, everything's constant. Everything's in constant flux. Everything is fu- is futile. There's mm-hmm. no real gain in anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you even think about, like, technology and, and the things that we have now, I mean, yeah, we have computers and, you know, we have these huge machines that can build buildings so much faster than before. Um, uh, what else? We have Netflix, mm-hmm. HBO Max, uh, a whole bunch of different entertainment systems. Mm-hmm. We have all these things, but when you think about it, it's all contributing to the exact same thing that we were desiring before. Mm-hmm. All these different pleasures. We were before we were feeling all these different pleasures. And when you even think about it, even discipline, somewhat to a point, fuels pleasures for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because for you to achieve something that you want that will please you, you need to be disciplined in in the course of you getting it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when you think about it with trying to make a huge impact, because I know when I talk to some people, they're like, oh, you know, well, like it's better. It's, you know, my impact will be to leave this place better than than better than how I saw it, you know, for the next generation, things like that. But when I think about it, you know, we can get hit by a meteor and it's yeah. gone. You know, this person could die the next day. Whoa. Yeah. What are you leaving them? Nothing. I mean, I mean, they're going to the grave. You know what I mean? For sure. I mean, you, you and Kyle talked about it last chapter. Yeah. Um, which you haven't seen the last podcast, chapter nine check it out because they all talk about death as a great e- equalizer. Mm-hmm. Um, that like you said, all this stuff is, is temporary um, and it all goes away. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what you're building on this earth, it's going to go away. Yeah. 
Um, whereas you're working for the Lord, that's for eternity. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that are of eternity. And I think what's interesting is like, I think you would agree that things that are, are for eternity are, are more valuable, right? Yes. I have seen, you know, other people take the opposite stance that um, people that don't believe in an afterlife or don't believe in, in, you know, in a God or a creator or anything like that, that they take great value in their life because it's temporary, mm-hmm. that they only have one chance. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting perspective um, that I, I don't generally agree with. I like things that last. I, you know, I want to build up things that are for eternity. Um, but there, there is that stance that because something is temporary, that because I only have one chance that there is value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he kind of, sw- he called it a, what was it? A transience. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Yeah, I think I th- so. I think so. Yeah. The transience of something that makes it beautiful, which I think it does. It does mm-hmm. make it beautiful. But I feel like when we're talking about impact, things that, yeah. that actually have more meaning, you know, that is going to affect and be lasting. Mm-hmm. I think your main goal should be to try to impact people eternally. I because agree. that's yeah. what they're going to experience for the rest of their lives. Right. You know, like yeah. that's, and that's, that's where true life begins. And I think this mm-hmm. is interesting too, is because when Jesus came, talking about being reborn and, you know, the next life and all this other stuff, it seems like, you know, this life that we're living in now, it's, it's as if this, you know, we're in a cricket state. Mm-hmm. But where true life begins is when we die. Yeah. That's yeah. where everything gets better. That's where everything is. That's where we should all be aspiring to go. And this is one thing too. I think we should also touch on the intentions of why you would want to go. Because a lot of people always talk about how they want yeah. to go to heaven and things like that. But the real question is, yeah. do you want to go to heaven because God's there? Or do you want to go to heaven because you you know, you don't want to suffer? Right. Hell? Yeah. And I would say, probably need to check. Check yourself mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. Because... Your focus should be on Jesus. Your focus should be on your relationship. Exactly. With him. I totally do. I, I hate the argument. Um, for there's, there's Christians that make the argument for Christianity of like, uh, if I'm right, then then I, I go to heaven. But if I'm wrong, then there's just nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's why you should be a Christian. Like, that's not, that's a terrible argument. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a bad. terrible argument. Just because like. My end goal is not necessarily just heaven. My end goal is just is to have a relationship with God, and that's fulfilled through heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not my reason why. Like yeah. I said, my favorite question is why. That's the best question. Um, yeah. It's the hardest question too. Yeah, no, that is, that is the hardest question. Um, you know, I had a a friend who was a pastor, um, who's I believe man, he said this story a long time ago, but his father uh, was atheist for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they would talk about it, and they would ask questions, and and he would always ask his father why, and he'd he'd, he'd tell him like it's always the question of why that's the most difficult. Science can tell us how and what, can tell, science can tell us what is in this world and how it works, and it's amazing. I I, I think science is fascinating because it it helps us understand God's creation, mm-hmm. but it will never tell us why. And it's always the why questions that are the hardest, and eventually. Late, very late into his life, this pastor's father um, came to know Christ and, and changed and, and, and believed in Christ. And his, and his son, this pastor, was talking to him and he goes, what changed? What, why did you make this decision? And he, he said, the, the why questions kept me up at night. I, I could not answer why. I couldn't answer why we were here. I couldn't answer why we exist. I couldn't answer um, you know, our purpose in life. Mm-hmm. 
And, and those, those are the questions that like deep inside, I think we, everybody really struggles with. I think we're given an, an innate question of why of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of life is figuring out our purpose. Um, and, and as we talked about, sometimes that purpose, uh, people put that in, in their wealth or in their value or in other people, or they try to find it within themselves, um, and things like that. But all those things kind of fail eventually. And I think what's so interesting about that too, is that Ecclesiastes is, is specifically trying to answer that question. Like, cause yeah. essentially what you're talking about is what is the meaning of life? Yeah. And what's interesting is that in the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, it talks about Hevel. Yeah. yeah, you know, Hebel. Well, you guys are probably wondering what what is Hebel. Like, I've never even heard of that word. Yeah. Well, just to explain, Hebel is a Hebrew word. Yeah. That is typically translated um, in Ecclesiastes as meaningless or futility, or if you read the King James version, vanity of vanities. Mm-hmm. You know, or smoke or vapor. Yep. Sm- I like smoke yep. or vapor. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's that's actually more of like a literal translation of mm-hmm. the word, and. I really like that concept too of smoke and vapor because it's now trying to create a metaphor of how life is. When you're in the mm-hmm. thick of it, you know, it's like real disorienting. It's really hard to understand things. It's like fog. You ever been in like a yeah. really thick fog and you're like, you can see the fog, but you can never get to the fog. Yeah. You know? yeah. If you're in the fog, it's always like a few feet away. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. No matter like where it. you walk to, it's always a little bit far away. It's always out of your grasp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's. I think that's a really great metaphor of how life at many times could be. Yeah, it's. And what's interesting though too is that the Book of Ecclesiastes is trying to show us to not run away from this, mm. but to accept that reality. Because I would because um, to touch on your point with the with atheists they would honestly say, well, that's just the reality of things. You know, that's yeah. just how that's just how things are, and I'm mm-hmm. sticking to truth and things like that. Well, we have a book that also is talking about the same things, technically, mm-hmm. but it's coming to a completely different conclusion yeah. while still taking in that information about yeah. the uncertainties of life and how that's just the reality of things. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that it found that following your own pleasures, um, doing certain things that that ultimately just amount to the same uh to the same things as before don't really at the end of the day they don't really mean anything i mean it kind of when you think about it kind of goes to nihilism yeah but i think it's nihilism like by nature is uh like despair yeah yeah nothing spares nothing matters but it also like leads to the conclusion of like despair of of depression Whereas Ecclesiastes really frames it as nothing matters. Isn't that so easy to be content in? And it really flips it. You know, like you said, it comes to a different conclusion that we can be content in that nothing really matters on this earth. Um, well, also, I've, never, I've never looked at it that way. But also pointing to like, there, there's only one thing that matters and that's God. Mm-hmm. And if you have that, nothing else matters. Everything else is worthless. Everything else is pointless. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, el- elaborate though on that con- that contentment or that um, that nothing else matters aspect though with um, mm-hmm. in Ecclesiastes how you said pretty much it kind of flips the switch. Yeah, I think I think generally if you know people are saying like nothing matters, um, people want things to matter, right? Like. Mm-hmm. 
if nothing matters, then what's the point? Why why go to work every day? Why even have relationships with people? Why why do my ma- actions matter? We talked about having your right from your left and, and mm-hmm. moral values. And like, why does that even matter if nothing matters? But I think there's there's this contentment in that um, it doesn't matter if I think my job is a glamorous job or if I think, you know, I'm living this great life or if I'm, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have to take so much value from things of this world. Um, and what this is saying is, is, is as we've talked about, is like those things in this world will, will fail anyways. Mm-hmm. So don't take value in those because those are worthless. Mm-hmm. Things of this world are worthless. Um, and if those things are worthless, then what has value? Well, it's saying, well, God has value. And, it, and so then if you take your value from God, well, God will never fail you. That's good. And so you're, th- you're then taking, if everything else is worthless, you're not taking value in those, you're taking value in God, he'll, he'll help you prosper. He's the one that gives you value. He's the one that give you, gives you contentment. He's the one that gives you peace. And then share that with others as well, mm-hmm. you know? show others that like most of this life is worthless. You can give water and food to people and that's fantastic. But we talked about the death is a great equalizer. Yeah. Like you can, you can provide all the amazing things to people. You can provide them electricity, education, water, food. Absolutely. Please do. I'm not saying don't, but if that is not also, if you're not also providing the gospel and eternal life, doesn't matter they're still going to end up like the wealthiest person they're still going to end up like like people of the first world mm-hmm. or people that had that do have everything yeah they're they're still going to be equalized in that way in death mm-hmm. but god is saying it doesn't matter where you come from i have eternal life for you yeah i find value in that have value in that because that's that's the only thing that changes mm-hmm. is whether you have eternal life or not that's powerful Bring it right back to the gospel. <laughs> right back to the gospel. Everything's got to go back to the gospel. Yep. I love it. I love it. Um, so we'll continue with verses 8 through 11. Um, where was I? Oh, yep. So um, so what I found, which was pretty interesting, and maybe you can elaborate or give your perspective too, is that I kind of felt like verses 8 through 11 gives multiple different proverbs. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So multiple different wise sayings about how wisdom can work and then uh how things just happen pretty much mm-hmm. when i think what the author or the teacher is trying to show right there inside this these little proverbs that are mentioned is how he is trying to use wisdom in every area of life but even though being in every area of life there is maybe a certain type of wisdom that can only be gained through experience right yeah and i thought that was at least that's my takeaway from it that i thought was really interesting um, mm-hmm. And that's specifically in verses eight through eleven, where I took that mm-hmm. that conclusion. Um, what is your thoughts on it? What, what what do you have to say about verses eight through eleven? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, I think it's definitely true. Um, in that, in that, just like by action, um, like harm can come. It says, "Whoever quarries stone may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them." Um, you know, you can still be harmed in your actions. You can still be, uh, you know, it's difficult, but you know, like you said, you're going to find wisdom in that, in the, Mm -hmm. in the success and especially in the failure, you're going to find wisdom in that. 
Oh yeah. Um, so I uh, yeah I I definitely agree with that. Um, and then and then verse ten is great. You know if the axe is dull and it's edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. You know it's always mm-hmm. the, the work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Kind of adage. Yeah. Of, um, wisdom can make can make work easier too, and and wisdom can bring, um, you know a lot of value even even in your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's always wise to like take a moment and analyze a situation or take a mm-hmm. moment and analyze what is your first steps that you're going to do or what are the things that you're planning on doing in the future? Yeah. How does that contribute to your ultimate goal? Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people have a whole bunch of goals, but they don't have a plan to even get to the goal. Mm-hmm. It's like you got you to gotta at least have something. I'm not saying get have everything figured out. And I think right. that's right inside that verse. That's what the teacher's kind of trying to mm-hmm. talk about. Like it's saying don't prepare at all, but don't get so caught up in preparing that well let me let me let me pull back real quick i think what he's saying is prepare prepare but don't prepare so much to the point where it stops you from getting started yes yeah i see that i see that a lot i think there's is that, yeah. there's even a like corporate talk there's a there's a corporate phrase that's like good is better than perfect yeah you know don't don't mm-hmm. plan so much and try to make everything perfect that you don't actually get anything done mm-hmm. it's better to have something good done than something perfect in theory yeah you know yeah no uh, I, yeah i 100 percent agree with that and i think that also contributes to the idea though of when you get started there is a wisdom in that mm-hmm. you know you can you can look at something it's almost like it, it kind of actually excuse me brings me back to to jesus excuse me sorry um but it kind of brings me back to jesus though with the religious leaders they knew all about the scriptures yeah. they knew all about um how the Tenac was configured and all that stuff. And by the way, I know I just threw that word Tenac, and you guys are probably wondering what in the I don't even world know that is word that. Means. Well, a Tenac is actually um, a Hebrew acronym, um, which stands for Torah, Netavim, and Ketavim. Okay. Yep. So the Torah is just the first five books. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Netavim, I believe, is, I want to say, uh, the prophets. I could be wrong. I could be wrong because I am just going off the top of the head on, on this stuff. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I believe that that could be the prophets, and then Ketavim is the writings or the poetry mm-hmm. and the wisdom literature and things like that. Um, and that's actually the order, apparently, how it it's supposed to be okay. written, um, which I thought was very fascinating. Um, but back to the main point, though, was that these religious leaders had all this knowledge. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that they were observing God instead of actually yeah. getting into a relationship with him. Yeah, actually getting to know him, getting personal mm-hmm. with him. In that same way, inside of a lot of other people's situations, instead of just always observing, try to actually get in the thick of it because there's going to be certain things that you learn that you won't be able to mm-hmm. learn from just observing from it. Yeah. Do you, do you think that was just, you know, a cultural thing though? That What? Uh, for, the, for the Pharisees and Sadducees, that a personal relationship with God wasn't really even conceptualized until Jesus. I want to say yes and no. I'm okay. honestly not entirely sure. Because like when I think about it, when I look at, for example, let's look, let's, let's look at Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. You go back to Genesis and you read into the first um, few chapters, right? When Right after Adam and Eve sin, right? Mm-hmm. Well, who gives them clothing? God. God, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So when, instantly when I think of that, I'm like, okay, well, who who is the one who's typically providing things in my life? It's usually my father mm-hmm. or mother, someone that I have a close relationship with. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that right there is a relational aspect. Yeah. 
you know? And then when I think of the tabernacle, um, one interesting thing that I learned too is that a lot of the same words that were used to describe the tabernacle, which is where God dwelled, which was usually among his people, um, to explain the tabernacle was a tent to where God would literally dwell in so he can have close proximity and relationship with his people. Yeah. That was, um, I believe Exodus actually goes more extensively yes. into the construction of it. Exodus has a lot of detail about it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the whole purpose of that, though, was for God to dwell with his people. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm instantly thinking of that is a relational type of aspect. Agreed. Yeah, but Counterpoint, I feel like there, Yeah, I feel like there are some verses. Only though. certain people were allowed inside mm-hmm. the actual temple, like the actual yeah. tabernacle. Very um, true. And especially the Holy of Holies. Yes. And so I think especially there was this kind of cultural idea of there's this barrier between us and God. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a curtain. There's the massive yeah. curtain yeah. that when Jesus dies, it mm-hmm. rips. Yeah. And and so you know, which is beautiful. It's, it's it's a beautiful metaphor and it's a beautiful symbolism of his spirit going out into the world and us actually being able to have a personal relationship with God, mm-hmm. which I think um, in the Old Testament before Jesus, certain people did, Pharaoh, uh, prophets did, uh, David did, Adam and Eve did, um, but for the majority of people, there was this kind of barrier between them and God. Um, they had to go through a prophet or a priest of some of, of some kind. Um, they had to go to the tabernacle where now we can we can pray wherever we want. We have the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit with us. Yeah. Um so the, so there is that little bit of a of a difference there. Um that, you know, I wanna I wanna I don't I don't typically defend Pharisees, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um uh I, I get I get why that was difficult uh for them um to to grasp because they grew up their whole life believing one thing mm-hmm. and Jesus comes and says no have a relationship with me I'm the lord yeah and he, he appeared much differently than they expected because obviously they were anticipating yeah. a messiah yeah and yet he came as a carpenter's son mm-hmm. born in a manger mm-hmm. riding in on a donkey yeah um not as a king mm-hmm. with with a with an army yeah. of angels mm-hmm. um i think also culturally though what was happening to probably contributed a lot yeah. of them expecting a messiah expecting someone that was going to conquer the romans things like yeah, that because absolutely um you do have a lot of those messianic scriptures in there mm-hmm. but i think i think um where they missed the relational aspect though yeah i would say i would say it would be the verses to where they they didn't speak about you know mm. the messiah coming and dying i mean isaiah 43 where it l- clearly depicts Jesus coming and dying for his people. Mm-hmm. It's it's very clear. I would actually highly suggest the audience to go and check that scripture out because it's just, it's it's so clear that I would be very surprised if you weren't even, you didn't even realize that it was talking about Jesus, yeah. you know? And so I would say, yes, I can understand why it was hard mm-hmm. to see the relational aspect. But to completely say that the relational aspect was never there, I would I would disagree. Mm-hmm. Simply because I feel like there are so many scriptures that speak of that relationship of God wanting. If anything, um, I would concede on that on the aspect of like um, um, saying a relationship now. I could see how there could be a divide with that, especially you know with the with the tabernacle and the holies of holies and the Levitical mm-hmm. priests, and then even within the Levitical priests, you had different sects of the Levitical priests that can only go inside, go inside the holies of holies. But I would say 
all of that, to a certain degree, foreshadowed the coming of Jesus that yeah. was bringing that relational thing. I mean, when you even think about it, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, where, once again, it brings up that concept of how there was going to be a son of man that was going to step on the head of the serpent. Yeah. And how the serpent is going to pierce his foot. Mm-hmm. You know? To me, whoa. He's becoming a human now, and he's going to do all this for his mm. people to save them. I mean, to that right there, I would say it extends to even another relational aspect. But then again, I would say what definitely made it difficult was the Roman Empire and uh, the cultural constraints of what was happening to the Jews at that time of the oppression. Mm. And I think I think this ties back what's what's difficult even for us. Um, and, and tying back what it says in Ecclesiastes about you know, bringing your wisdom into your actions is like, we can have a lot of head knowledge. We can Mm -hmm. study the Bible deeply for years and have no relationship with God. Yes. Um, and, and, and I, 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 cause I, I have been like that for for a few years. I was, I, everything hit my head and nothing hit my heart is how I like to phrase it. I, I never let anything from my head actually go to my heart and impact my actual relationship with God. Yeah. And, and I think, that's what this author is, is talking so much about of like letting your wisdom, not just to be wise in knowledge, but wise in action and wise in, in your relationship with God. Yeah. Letting those, you know, letting what you read and what you study, not just be head knowledge, but, but show through in your love and in your relationship with God. Um, and, and bring that to there. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll actually continue because we are running low on the time. <laughs> um, so uh, we have the rest of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So after I believe after verse eleven, it kind of speaks about the tongue. So specifically in verses twelve through twenty, um, I believe the teacher is kind of referring to the idea of how um, the wise withhold their tongue, or the fools kind of just blabber on. And yeah. how actually the fools end up getting themselves into even more trouble simply because they yeah. don't control their tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have some verses. A lot of these connections are actually with Proverbs. So we have Proverbs. We have a connection to Proverbs 13, Proverbs 18, Proverbs 15, Proverbs 10, Proverbs 21, Proverbs 17, and then to the New Testament, which is James. Now, we're not going to read all those. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, I can just read two, and then you can read, um, if you want, uh, the scriptures from James. Yeah, I can read a couple from James. So the two verses that I'll be reading from is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3, and Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And the first one is, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And the second verse reads, Death and life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Yeah, then we got uh, James one twenty six says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Mm. Uh, James 3.6 says, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Oof. That's deep. Jeez. Now, um, just for some small commentary from Eaton's uh, commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, from page 138, he says, Everything that has been said about wisdom and folly points again to the main lesson of Ecclesiastes, the need to face life 
as it really is and to take our life and day by day from the hand of a sovereign God. I really like that quote. That's a, that's a pretty good quote. Yeah. I'm really glad we're taking this to heart and not doing an hour and a half podcast <laughs> where we talk the whole time. Um, but no, this is really, this is, this is really fascinating. Um, on, you know, and it ties back to the very beginning of, of this chapter mm-hmm. of, of the foolish, um, what does it say? Oh, it says actually at the end of the chapter before, I think the quiet words of the wise are more to be headed, um, than the shouts of, of a ruler of fools. Um, mm-hmm. that's verse 17 of, of chapter nine. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, 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 I like how, um, he, he's really getting at, at the heart of, of, um, how dangerous our lips can be, how, how dangerous our tongue can be, mm-hmm. um, and how much trouble it can get us into if yeah. we're not, you know, putting thought behind it. We're not thinking before speaking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's like so many situations that I can just think of to where like, you really need to watch your words. Cause honestly, like even when you don't even realize it, like you can mm-hmm. literally just be chilling, hanging out yeah. and literally one or one or two things can completely affect another person. Like there's, 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 there is literally so many times that I wish and past relationships and past relationship mm-hmm. with friends, family, coworkers, just everything. To where there's times where I like wish, uh, I probably should have said that a little bit different. Because even because when you think about it, even when you don't even have bad intentions to say something, you know, or like, I would say even when you don't have bad intentions with what you're saying, it could be perceived in a in a messed up yeah. or jacked up way. Yeah, I think I mean it's it's even uh, more applicable now with with social media and like text message and. Because things can get so misconstrued across just text mm-hmm. and not actual face to face, or even you know talking over a phone or something. Yeah, um, I've had so many times where like sarcasm doesn't get across, yeah, or like intention yeah. does not get across because it's text, and you can read it in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways, um, and that can be really really harmful, um, and and how you how you navigate that. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's definitely that's definitely uh. And interesting. I mean, uh, James, it reminds, actually reminds me of James, what it speaks of about how the tongue is. Here, let me actually just read it. I'm actually going to read it. Just to make sure, did you read verse 3, chapter 6? I mean, chapter chapter 3, verse 6. Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. See, yeah, that, that just reminds me of this verse, actually, about here. It actually says... Yeah. And among all parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. That is, gosh, that is a lot, dude. Yeah. James does not hold back. Yeah, James um, does not. Yeah, I mean, in both of these, it's, it's, if anyone thinks he's is religious, uh, but does not bridle his tongue, his religion is worthless. Yeah. Oh, oh. my gosh, dude, that's horrible. I mean, that's not horrible, but like, that's it's a that's it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard pill to it's swallow. Difficult. Sheesh. Wise words though. Wise words. So, um, I'd like to ask you, what is the biggest takeaway that you have on how to apply um the things that you learned from Ecclesiastes to your life? Oh gosh. from this chapter, chapter. I think 10. I think a lot of this chapter has just been finding your value and what what you find your value in. Mm-hmm. Um 
because society says a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but but this is this has been very clear, um, not just in this chapter, but in in the whole of Ecclesiastes that yeah. a lot of those things have no value. Um, but uh, you find your <laughs> your value. Um, <laughs> Oh, sorry. Our our audio guy is dying over here, I think. Are you okay, Jacob? You good? Take a drink. It's okay. No, we'll, we'll take a break. It's all good. It's all good. No, you're good, bro. No, nothing I say is profound. Let's be very clear about that. Um, no, you're good. I want to make sure you're okay. All right, cool. You're good, man. You're good. You good, it. Jacob? Yeah, I just need some water. No, I got you. <laughs> yeah, cotton mouth over there. It's all good, man. Get it. Um, value is what I was talking about. Um, finding your value in God, um, and what's you know, and have having that as your as your identity, as as your worth. Um, because no matter how smart you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how successful you are. Um, failure will come, whether it's because of you or not because of you. Um, there's, there's too many, there's too many, um, you know, chances, there's too many coin flips in life, yeah. um, to, to find your value in anything else. Cause mm-hmm. everything else is, you know, it's just a shifting sand. Mm-hmm. Um, f- find your value on, on the rock <laughs> of God. Um, Stino has been broken. It's starting to get serious again. <laughs> but uh, I'll pass that question on to our listeners uh, too. Uh, tweet at us, comment if if you're watching YouTube. Um, what do you what do you think of all this? Um, of where you found your value, of of holding your tongue. Um, even even if uh, you know we had the conversation of of the Pharisees and their relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how do you view that? Do you, do you give the Pharisees a little bit of slack for, uh, you know, not, you know, totally understanding Jesus when he comes and not understanding a relationship with God? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you not? Um, obviously there's a, there's a lot of mistakes that the Pharisees made and they were not, uh, good people. Um, yeah. What is a good person? We're not going to get into that. Yeah. But, yeah that's, uh, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, next week we'll be getting into... Chapter 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. 11. Yep. We hope to see you guys there. Please like, share, and subscribe if you like this content. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace out. Peace.